Welcome to A State of Mind, the podcast that brings together consciousness, meditation, mindfulness, psychology, psychedelics, and so much more in pursuit of this mystery we call life. This is Julian Royce. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm really excited to share this conversation with all of you. I think it really captures a lot of what this podcast is all about. And um, if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting us. We have a Patreon account, patreon.com backslash state of mind. And I have a new website for the podcast that I will be launching soon. And we have an update of the logo, as well as some t-shirts, stickers, things like that you can get with it. Um, if you're watching the YouTube video, you can see some examples of those on the video. So today I'm speaking with Sashi Gurzan Rose. Sashi is a fellow therapist. And uh, she actually helped me come up with the title for this conversation, which is Consciousness is the Glue, Psychedelics, Couples Work, and Buddhism. And uh, it was just such a treat and pleasure to talk with her. We got quite deep. We cover a lot of ground. This was a rich, fulfilling conversation, one that I learned from, and I hope you do as well. Without further ado, I bring you Sashi Herzan Rose. today with Sashi Gerzan Rose. Sashi, thanks so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And um, you are also a therapist in the area. Mm-hmm. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and talk about what you do? Sure, yeah. So I work primarily with individuals and couples. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I also offer psychedelic therapy specifically ketamine-assisted psychotherapy Hmm. and psychedelic integration. Um, And I'm also actually starting a meditation group. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. A lot of offerings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, something I often ask guests that I get to talk with here is just a little bit about your life and how you came to be doing the work you're doing. Did it it feel like a calling for you? Yeah. Well, um, I think... I think, you know, both having <laughs> parents with unprocessed trauma, mm. um, like many of us in the field, right? So some sort of unasked for initiation mm. into this role of a helper or a caregiver or uh, in moments being actually the um, parentified child, so mm. to speak. Yeah. Um, and then... To, to kind of presence the, uh, the positives as well. Um, my, both my parents were actually incredibly spiritual in very different ways. Mm. And so I think the uh, cultivation of this rich spiritual life from a really early age just um, helped shape and support the cultivation of that within mm. me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mind, like, what kind of spirituality did you grow up with? So, um, my, my mom was just your kind of uh, run-of-the-mill boo-jew, Buddhist <laughs> Jew, <laughs> oh. and very liberal and progressive. It's interesting that we have a word for that now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
And then my dad, actually, they got divorced when I was three. My dad remarried pretty quickly to an Israeli Orthodox woman. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he became Orthodox, mm. uh, Jewish Orthodox. And so pretty um, quickly, my, my world became at least half, because it was half custody, um, mm. kind of steeped in this Jewish Orthodox religion. So a lot mm. of um, intensity. I'm trying to think about how to say this in a, in a way that doesn't sound... Um, totally negative because I think <laughs> I think that Don't there is yeah I mean there's definitely as in all conventional religions a lot of morality in the mm. sense that this is good this is bad right. a right. lot of um, emphasis on your girl Oh, interesting. Girls do very different things than boys. Because the Orthodox is very I guess I don't know a ton about it but quite uh, steeped in those things you're talking about like Separation between the sexes. And yes, absolutely. Tra traditional roles. Yeah, so yeah. women have to dress modestly. Okay, yeah. Um, there's this emphasis, even though it's a very po sex-positive culture, actually, yeah. there's also a lot of emphasis on modesty and not kind of... Um, I guess exciting a man, right? So <laughs> cover your body so that men oh, don't okay. get... Um, and that, of course, was true excited. in Christianity, generally speaking, a few hundred years ago, too. Right, Islam yes. And, yeah, know. so it's a culture that's really rooted, um, that's really preserved the past, in a right. way. Right. And so so there's the negative with that in terms of um, just these really outdated beliefs. But then there's the positive that I really experienced around the ancient concentrated transmission of spirituality that I think mm. really gets lost mm. when we water down religion to um, fit in and adapt with current culture. Right. Yeah. That's such a big subject. Yeah, um, totally. <laughs> going on yes. religion and culture, but that... Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just said the word watered down. Yeah. It's not, I mean, when you said that, to me, it makes me think of Kind of preserving the essence, like you're talking about the yes. good, the good part, and then also the evolution, the yes. adaptation to our own time and yes, cultural mores. And it's interesting, like people might, because we might get in the Buddhism a little bit here. Yeah. If you go to India or Nepal or wherever, if you go to the East, so called. Yeah. Traditionally, they also have these separations between men and women, and right. women are supposed to dress modestly, and women are supposed to be accompanied by, generally speaking, family members. I mean, it depends on. What part of India, perhaps, and right. those kinds of norms are changing, but it just seems more. It just seems like this thing between like pre-modern and modern. Totally, it's such a big thing that's like worldwide. It's not just about our culture or about this religion. It applies pretty generally, I think. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, and in a way, it's. I think it's this critical um, question, like you're saying, beyond which particular religion or spiritual practice one might be steeped in, um, this question of how do we not throw the baby out the bathwater, yeah. so to speak, yeah. how do we maintain and preserve and conserve mm. the heart, right, the, the jewel of what, it's, of what it offers, yeah. while also incorporating in this 
in this discriminating eye, this critical awareness around innovation and, and mm. what actually is no longer um, relevant or helpful. And that, of course, is so subjective, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like you weren't so scarred by that that you totally rejected the tradition. Yeah, there, you know, there were some years of that, (laughs) (laughs) there were some years of that, but, um, yeah, I think I'm able to, I, I actually, I have this memory. I was quite young and I was in, it was a Saturday, so it was a Shabbat and I was, um, in temple Hmm. and I was looking at this like holy book, essentially this, this Jewish book and, you know, I, the paper is made out of this kind of thin rice paper, and there's this, mm. um, you know, Hebrew writing with all these prayers, and I have no idea what it says, but I just remember the, just the intense experience of, again, this transmission of the ancient, mm. and how powerful that That's was. Beautiful. It was something, so beautiful. Something coming through from the past. Yes. Our ancestry and lineage. And, yeah, so I could be yeah. grateful for that and and mm. again receive what's good about it nice. and let go of you know what doesn't feel feel true for me yeah. or what doesn't feel helpful that's so important and worth speaking to and it's easy to forget i don't know it's not easy to forget about or um i think a lot of people today and more especially in more modern cultures like america I, we don't know what our great grandparents were doing. Like, you know, we just, we've lost touch with this, uh, yes. our lineage, our past, our ancestors in a way that I think pre-modern people would have found unbelievable, mm. you know, just because it was so important to know Absolutely. where you came from. And um, we're not rooted in a place and a time and traditions in the same way. Right. And in exchange, we have all this freedom, you know, Right. And there's, there's good and bad there, but I think it can... The bad side is it can lead to a sense of alienation and being cut off from absolutely disconnection. And disconnection, and, yes, yeah. which I think is an epidemic of our time. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't really know what the answer is. I think we can consciously reconnect more with that and pay attention to it, and we can yeah. take a DNA test and we can talk yeah. more with our family. And, yeah, but um, we're in a new place, is what I'm saying. We're not going to go back. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think. I think the. Um, kind of reverent referencing of where we come from and Mm -hmm. also a connecting in with where we are now, specifically the natural world, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a way in which um, we, so I think there's different levels, if you will, of connection. We can be connected to the self. We can be connected Mm -hmm. to our clan, right? That which we um, come from in terms of immediate family and then even more broadly, Um, uh, whether it's a religion or geography or even nation, nationalism. Mm. And then we can expand out even further in in terms of including the earth and these beings who are not just human, right? Like dogs and (laughs) plant life, right? So actually including more Mm. um, in our sense of belonging. Yeah, I like the... Makes me think like you could almost like flip all this alienation, disconnection, yeah. individuality to like more connection of like mm. which we know we have access to so much more knowledge. Like Absolutely. We can study and know and learn all these different cultures and about the earth and about the environment we're in. 
And I think so we, the we trick to, to more. Absolutely. And I think <laughs> the ways. trick is how do we connect that knowledge to our limbic system? And how do we connect uh, that knowledge to this embodied experience? Hmm. Um, right? Because because we are such limbic creatures, because we are so yeah. resonant. And and I think that's the um, in a way some of the challenges we're facing with being so connected technologically speaking and mm. yet this again this epidemic of disconnection or loneliness or feeling unmoored yeah it's a good way to say it like do you want to speak more about this limbic system like i mean when you say that i think of like our emotionality yeah. or our feeling or like an embodiment a somatic piece yeah totally can, yeah there's like deeper ways of knowing than just thinking about stuff right Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> That's probably a big part of the work you do with people. Yes, yeah. So one way, I mean, what immediately comes to mind actually is attachment, right? Mm. So, so our um, when I'm talking with clients about emotion, and in a way the function of emotion, I'll start with that the the simple fact that we are wired to connect mm. i mean so yeah, rept absolutely. reptiles eat their babies <laughs> <laughs> mammals do not right. right mammals um actually need to care for their young right. for the survival of our species and particularly humans right our babies we're kind of extreme in that way we're right? super extreme yeah. i think a horse can stand within like four hours or something uh -huh babies <laughs> right like we actually care for our young conventionally right. up to about 18 right <laughs> that's a good example with the horse like if a pack of wolves came to the horses in the wild and the baby was a couple weeks old it would be able to to run it might be weaker and slower but it right. could at least walk on its own yes whereas a human obviously can't right we gotta be a mama's back or something. Right. So yeah. so our attachment system and specifically our love mm. for each other is actually what allows for our our species to survive. Yeah. Um, so Yeah, and that's a big part of what therapy can provide, right? Like this learning how to be in deeper relationship, learning how to navigate absolutely. our own attachment system. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I mean I, I think it's it's interesting it's an interesting question because um again i think it's helpful to reference the past in that mm. therapy at least as far as i'm aware evolved or or was conceived to deal with mental illness right mm. to help alleviate suffering that's a good point to yeah. help people um overcome unhealthy mental patterns that are getting in the way of you know on the more extreme and being in touch with reality mm. right or right. or i should say consensus reality nice. yeah. right <laughs> um i think we're all well many of us on this path so to speak are working towards a seeing reality mm. as it is like in a deeper way than that yeah but, but, to, but to be able to appreciate and respect consensus reality or con I call it yes. conventional reality issue but I like yeah I think the word consensus might be more accurate but yeah like if you know people in society generally agree you know say exactly something is we true agree or good, then we, 
to we, know that, at least have knowledge of that. Yeah, we agree that yeah. uh, you're not going to kill me, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> you're not going to steal from me. We're going to cooperate. We're yeah. going to, if someone's in line ahead of me, I'm not going to yell at them and tell them to get out of my way, right? Like, yeah. there are these. There's a lot that uh, we, t- we can t- that take, that normal people can take for granted. Yes. And I actually have some clients now that are somewhere in the schizophrenic mm. spectrum, and it's like, made me appreciate so much, uh, like how delicate this stuff is. Yeah. But, and how easily it can, um, I don't know, for some people it's, it's not there in the same way. Right. Absolutely. Like for example, like a, the sense of everyone is, uh, like, like that show, the Truman show, like some uh-huh. people are living their lives mm-hmm. believing actually that they're in a kind of Truman show mm-hmm. and that everyone is conspiring behind the scenes and yeah. If they see someone on the sidewalk, that person was planted there. If they turn on the radio, that's a message for them. Like, right. that kind of like, right. And they're not able to, you know, navigate in the world because of that. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right. And just what comes to mind for me hearing that is um, just the amount of suffering. It causes that a lot causes. of suffering. Yeah. So, so you know, conventionally, I think therapy is this offering. Um, or perhaps the structure, again, conventionally, where um, folks who are suffering come to, you know, a trusted expert, a trusted mm-hmm. um, guide in the realm of the psyche, mm-hmm. and and through working together, through diligent work, perhaps... Um, some of the suffering can be alleviated. Mm. Uh, there can be a cultivation of more skillful and more um, relevant ways of operating, nice. whether that's yeah. behavior or um, thought, thinking, or being in mm. relationship with oneself or being in relationship with another. Right. And then there's the relational component as well, that you were referring to, mm-hmm. um, in that, again, because we are such relational creatures, so much of our wounding mm. occurs in relationship, and so it's in relationship where repair um, yeah. and healing can occur. Right? That's, a, that's a good message to share, and I've mm. heard a lot of um, therapists and people in the psychology world talk about that, like if you're mm-hmm. wounded in relationship, to find that healing in relationship. and. Mm-hmm. Every time I hear that, I have a little bit of an asterisk, like, because I believe that you couldn't, you know, someone can heal on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I say this? That healing can happen. It doesn't have to be in relationship with like another person physically present, because I believe mm-hmm. that we're already always in relationship with the world around us. Absolutely. And if we wanted to go into the more spiritual direction, which some people might not resonate with or believe in, but that you could even have like a spiritual presence, for example. Absolutely. Or uh, a dream or... Mm. I don't know, just being, just being in a relationship with your own mind, mm-hmm. your own psyche. And so I just, I just want to say that because I imagine someone could feel alienated or alone and then mm-hmm. they feel like they have to be in a relationship and I just feel mm-hmm. like that could add to their sense of being inadequate or mm. not good enough. And yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I do, so I think what I, I agree with what you're saying, and I certainly can see examples where doing the work with another might not be needed mm. for some people. 
And then I think for others, um, it's absolutely needed. It is need, yeah. It's a both and. Like it's, yeah. Like if you, however you heal or do this kind of work we're talking about, then you'll be more available for relationships so it can happen more naturally. Absolutely. So, yeah. 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 There is, um, I'm trying to think about where I heard this quote, but there is a quote, I don't know the reference, that said, uh, like, the next Buddha will be the Sangha. Yeah, yeah, I know that quote. I think it's attributed to Thich Nhat Hanh. Okay. Or I've seen it yeah, that way. And yeah, It's a beautiful saying, the, yeah. the Sangha being like a community, right? A group, right, yeah, exactly. Rather than But again, in relationship. In relationship, yeah. It does seem like we need more of that, like loving community, obviously. Right, <laughs> would yeah. Would be great. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess uh, there's this question that's come up in my mind and on the podcast some, and it's if we get into the territory of Buddhism and meditation, generally speaking, that's an activity that people do on their own. And yet Sangha is the Buddhist world word for community, that that yeah. is an important role to play, perhaps mm-hmm. the most important or one of the most important. Um, and then I've heard some people criticize spiritual practice and meditation and people get really into yoga that they're learning ways to regulate themselves mm. on their own mm. r- rather than in community or in connection with another human. Mm. And again, I think it could be a both and, like they could, should be able to supporting each other, but mm-hmm. um, Absolutely. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I think it's a really interesting thing to think about that yeah. because when we... You know, when I think about myself, like when I was a young, like 20, 21, I got so into meditation and so inspired by that. And I had the idea that to be this advanced meditator and to become a Buddha or whatever mm-hmm. I wanted, enlightened, mm-hmm. all this stuff, I had to go on my own and mm-hmm. sit in a cave, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. The cl- <laughs> and, uh, classical <laughs> path of yeah, the Buddha. Yeah. Which right? Is which is I'm going to leave my family. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to go out. I'm going to sit under a tree by myself. Right. Until I am enlightened. Right. Yeah. And I think that can cause issues for people. I think in my own life it led me to like for a number of years not being as invested in friendships and relationships and community right. and even my family. Like, And now that I'm older I really value those and I put time and energy into them and yeah. It's very worthwhile, and I don't see a contradiction there in the way that I used to in the past. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a couple thoughts that come to mind. <laughs> the first is, um, this is one of the things that I really love about Zen, what I've studied in Zen, is um, there's this emphasis not only on realization, right? Mm. The experience of encountering the uh, enlightenment, encountering... Um, open, vast, unbound awareness, Mm. the recognition that I am that, but actually just as important is manifestation, right? Mm. (laughs) So like actually, and I, and, you know, going back to these, these various paths in Buddhism, um, right? Hinayana was more of that classic taking refuge from, from the world or from, desires and then the Mahayana path is is practicing in the marketplace okay shit mm. can, can I curse yeah <laughs> okay, <curse. laughs> um uh like oh god right it's <laughs> like I got really good at regulating myself now I have to deal with you and and you really irritate me right? like, yeah it's just we irritate each other and we rub up against each other yeah 
in relationship. And we cannot have intimacy without that, actually. Mm. And so, so that, that skill, that learning how to be in relationship, how to deal with each other, how to work with each other, how to, um, again, h- how to live a good life that actually includes mm. not just myself, but and not just my family or the people that I love, but actually the people that are hard for me. Because if we don't work together, right. like we're not working together and things aren't going very well on a glo- from a global perspective um, and a yeah. you know, planetary yeah. perspective. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I think that process of learning how to... Um, work together well, be good to each other hmm. is really, really important. And, and, um, yeah, super important. And, and in the work that I do with couples, a lot of the emphasis is on what's called co-regulation, right? which, you know, it's not, there's, um, it's not the same as external regulation, which is what a parent does for a child, Mm. um, before that child has developmentally learned to regulate themselves. But actually in co-regulation, there's this deep uh, uh, recognition of interdependence, Mm. right? I'm actually living in a fantasy if if I'm trying to uphold this belief that I can get away with shit <laughs> and like not get the natural consequences of that, right, right? right? Or that I can that I can um, not be impacted by you. Ah, that's a good one. Yeah, like living. I mean, obviously, if you live with someone in a relationship, it kind of forces you to realize that more. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like we kind of went um, a little far afield. But I appreciate it. But like, mm. just for people listening, like the Hinayana, Mahayana, Vajrayana, it's like kind of the historical development of Buddhism, yes. different types of Buddhism. And there's different ways you could talk about that, but mm-hmm. it's just really struck me. Like what we were talking about with the individual meditator versus connecting in community, it really mm-hmm. parallels that historical development. So yes. I imagine, I mean, people were literally having similar conversation 2,000 years ago, mm. probably. Yeah. <laughs> Because, yeah, so it's just interesting to note that. And it's still relevant. And it's still so relevant, yeah. 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 Um, but, yeah, so in your work with couples, this idea of co-regulation. Yeah. Do we want to, like, say a little bit, like, what is, this is a big question, like, regulation. Mm-hmm. That word gets used mm-hmm. a lot. It's really yeah. struck me recently how profound that concept is, mm-hmm. or the, the process it refers to. Yeah. Um, like, how, how do you speak about regulation? Yeah. Um, well, what first comes to mind is that perhaps it might be helpful to define dysregulation. Yeah. And, it, I mean, I think it's, it is a very um, broad topic. What feels important to note to me is that... Um, I would say, I mean, I think there can be kind of little dysregulation hmm. where we are, right? So we have our window of tolerance yeah. um, where the bottom half of the window, um, for those of you who are listening, I'm holding up my hands, <laughs> creating a kind of space in between my bottom hand and my top. Yeah. And the bottom of the window is what we call um, 
hypoarousal, and that's related to depression. Mm, um, low energy, right? Low energy, exactly. Yeah. And, and on an extreme, right? So that might mean getting a little sleepy or lethargic. Um, you're in a really boring setting. You start to yeah. nod off. You check out. So it doesn't have to be pathological. Um, it's totally normal. It happens to all of us. On the more extreme end, it can be things like um, fainting, Wow. Um, like a total shutdown. A total shutdown. Yeah. A total shutdown. Yeah. Uh, dissociation. Mm. Right. So a a real just checking out. Mm-hmm. And then the the upper end of the window is what we call hyper arousal, mm. and um, this can look like anxiety. Um, mm even a lot of excitement, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and then more extremely, it can be getting into fight or flight mm. um, and even freeze sometimes. The freeze that, for example, a rabbit does mm. when right, when I'm walking my dog and my, my dog who has a high <laughs> prey drive, she's actually going into hyperarousal, right? She goes into hunt mm-hmm. mode and the rabbit freezes, but it's not like a, it's not like a total dissociative freeze where the mm. rabbit actually starts to shut down because its body is sensing that death is imminent. Yeah, it's a good example. It's a, it's a temporary freeze until the dog, right, or the threat is... It's kind is, of rigid, right? It's, it's kind of, rigid, totally. So, there, so its heart is pumping really fast. There's all this anxiety on the inside, but the body is frozen until the threat has passed, and then it can shake it out and continue yeah. on its way. Anyway... Dysregulation, I would say, is when we reach the upper end or the lower end of mm. the window. Yeah. And, um, and then the ability to regulate right. is to bring ourselves back in mm. to that window of tolerance where we're able, I think, to take deep breaths and mm. slow ourselves down and come back to a more balanced state. Yeah. And hopefully feel like ourselves there. Totally. And have choice. And have choice. More clearly and Absolutely. Take different perspectives. And, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, have access to the prefrontal cortex, right. which is the adult right. brain. Yeah. And so yeah. the in couples therapy, you're helping people to do that with each other. That if yeah in the realm of the relationship and emotions. Yes, that, and it's very practical, yeah. right? So, right. Um, so it might be something like, um, <laughs> for example with my husband um one of the ways he does it is if i get if i'm getting irritated and i have maybe like a sharp tone one of the things he'll say to me is he'll just look at me and smile and he'll say do you want to fight <laughs> and it's just this awesome like it's humorous it's friendly it's yeah. yeah it's like whoa whoa, whoa. <laughs> We're, there's no problem here right so and that huh. that just almost always relaxes me, calms oh, wow. me down. I'm able to access humor. <laughs> um, so that's, <laughs> that's just... I think a, the tone of voice is a good one to mention. because Yes. Especially for whatever reason, when you're in a relationship for a long enough time with someone, like a little tone of voice that no one else would notice. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you are... All the little things. Know, We're tracking each other all the time. We're mm. tracking each other all the time. Yeah. So it's, it's noticing when our partner gets triggered to use a very yeah. um, therapeutic <laughs> word and um, and 
noticing when our partner responds to us essentially as threat mm. and to have the grace and the, the regulation ourselves, the resource ourselves to be friendly, mm. right? To lean in, to be kind, to use a soothing voice, to mm. maintain eye contact, right? I'm like communicating to you. I'm on yeah. your side. Right. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. That's interesting that you, you said like see your partner as a threat that mm-hmm. can happen where the person that we normally, most of the time, say we love and care about, mm-hmm. all of a sudden they can perceive them as someone to get rid of or run away from. <laughs> Absolutely. Someone who is fundamentally not on our side. Someone mm-hmm. who is fundamentally not on our team. Yeah. And, and it's that perception mm. that I think leads to so many of the problems couples come in for, right? right? Like, we need better communication. Right, that's um, what everyone's going to say, right? Totally, yeah. <laughs> and it's true. It's not that it's not true. It's just that the communication, um, it's it's... I think it's a both and, again, in terms of, yes, we can develop helpful um, external behaviors and um, we, can, we can get more skillful at asking for what we need or expressing something that doesn't work for us right. or communicating anger or sadness or fear, whatever it is. And the skills alone are not enough. Mm. because when we are in that moment of um, dysregulation or trigger, Mm. if we do not have this fundamental experience of we're on the same team, we will perceive Mm. the person across from us as a threat, and so we will react accordingly. Yeah. Yeah, that being on the same team, I mean, that's what you want. That's what people, that's interesting. I mean, in in a particular moment in time, you could mm-hmm. actually not be on the same team, right? So that could actually be an accurate perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, like, in a bigger perspective, if you're married, if, hopefully uh-huh. you are on the same team, care about each other. Right. Well, and so I think it, well, perhaps then it's like, well, what does it mean to be on the same <laughs> team? You yeah. know, does it mean that you have the same perspective all the time no Hmm. does it mean that you don't see things differently sometimes absolutely not diversity is a gift actually Hmm. right it's helpful when we can um include different perspectives Hmm. i right like i suck at math (laughs) (laughs) my husband's great at it I'm so glad that I have someone. Yeah, absolutely. And when we are kind of polarized in our differences is when difference starts to feel, um, again, like a threat. Yeah. Well, in the example you gave, like your husband saying to you, do you want to fight? That's like this surprising kind of counterintuitive thing, (laughs) but it like flips it where it's like, oh, we can fight together and be on the same team and like consciously do that. Totally. But I imagine for him to do that, he needs to be regulated in a good place. And Absolutely. Both of you are dysregulated and both of you are kind of triggered. That's when that becomes... That's when uh, it's hard. Yeah, that's when Absolutely. Hard. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's important. It feels important for me to name that um, a good relationship, a healthy relationship is not without 
anger. Mm. And it's not without fighting. Oh, um, you can include that. Absolutely. I think we it's have to include to it. Yeah. Otherwise it gets <laughs> pushed into the shadows and right. it comes out in super weird ways. Right. Um, it's, I think it's actually cultivating a trust that we can fight well. Mm. We can fight safely. Mm. If we fight, we will get through it. We will mm. find our way to the other side, which is intimacy, which is deeper understanding, mm. right? Mm. Which is a greater sense of coherence, actually. But we have to get uh, through the scuffle to get there. That's, yeah. There's so much in that, what you're saying. Like, that you include anger, even include fighting. Yeah. Make it more, um, what is the word, conscious or productive even? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I call it generative conflict, right? Okay. Is this generative yeah. conflict or is it not, right? Right, like is, the, is it leading to a good result or is it kind of just trying to tear the other person down? And, right, destructive. You know, destructive, right. Yeah, or, or just a stalemate, right? Or a stalemate, yeah. We're just, oh God, and, and this is actually um, something that, I think can be so painful Hmm. um, is when couples have the experience like, oh God, we're having this fight again, Hmm. right? We're stuck here. We're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes what's needed is, um, again, going back to this idea of regulation, Yeah. can we hang out in the stuckness together? Oh. Can we, which incre- which like requires a lot of self-regulation, mm-hmm. a lot of frustration tolerance. This is so painful. I feel so divided from you. To tolerate the discomfort of that. And stay Absolutely. There and, uh, yeah. And I appreciate what you just said that it requires a lot of self-regulation. So like if meditation, for example, mindfulness is a way to self-regulate, then that, the skills are so valuable in a relationship. Thing. Absolutely. Right. right. I'm going to, breathe, I'm going to witness, I'm going to experience the intensity of my fear or my sadness or my anger, my frustration arising. Mm. And I'm going to breathe and I'm going to um, take care of myself and then I'm going to Mm. soothe myself so that I can stay, so that I don't have to leave or check out or shut the thing down by blaming Mm. you collapsing into shame or whatever it is right i'm going to stay available so that we can hang out in the unknown together hopefully find a creative solution um and then sometimes the creative solution occurs through so many moments of just being compassionate Mm. with ourselves and with each other in the pain of like oh god here we are again Mm. okay yeah i can feel familiar and i can make it more painful obviously and yes i was going to say that impulse to destruction the destructive kind mm. of fighting can also uh be turned on oneself totally. and we see that with depression but yeah um, and that can be a tough one but to to be able to recognize that if you are being really hard on yourself or kind of being destructive to yourself that that's actually mm-hmm. you know obviously it's not good mm-hmm. but to, to be able to like recognize it and to have choice there and like get out of that pattern and absolutely um yeah the right kind of relationship could really help you to see that and come over it but it's a tricky one because it can if you're isolating yourself and doing that it's it's gonna be hard to work with right absolutely yeah Yeah, i had this um that he wasn't a therapist he was um a healer Hmm. the most intense human being i've ever met in my life (laughs) he it's really saying something oh yes absolutely yeah (laughs) 
he, um, without going too far in depth with what he did, but he, he essentially saw the energetic body. And uh-huh. so he saw emotions and uh-huh. he kind he described himself as kind of a mechanic of emotions. So uh-huh. he, one of the processes he offered to his clients was that of what he called emotional release. And, um, he described the importance of being in right relationship with, with anger actually, because naturally it is explosive. Mm -hmm. Naturally the wisdom of anger, right? Is clarity that it sets a boundary. You've crossed my boundary. There's some injustice here. Something is off when for whatever reason, uh, an individual develops a coping mechanism where they actually have to turn that anger on themselves, either because it's not safe to get mad mm. at... It's interesting to put it like co- as a coping mechanism. It, it's a coping mechanism, yeah. absolutely, right? So it's like it becomes implosive. It has right. to go somewhere. It implodes. Mm. The, um, the way of working with that, actually, this practitioner said, at least, and I happen to agree with him, was to externalize it again in a constructive way. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so whether that's going for a run, I mean, we know that with Mm -hmm. anger, adrenaline, cortisol gets released, so big muscle movements. Mm -hmm. Um, He talked about, I'm not advising this, but he talked about chopping down a dead tree. So you're actually using this destructive energy for good. Mm. Right, you're not chopping down. (laughs) Yeah, you make firewood. You're not chopping down a live tree. You're actually helping (laughs) the earth. So anyway. No, yeah, it's good. Yeah. He just started being able to see, like the way we see things with our eyes. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, and he was usually pretty spot on. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I think um, there is a physiological component to our emotions, and so it. I mean it. It's not just in the realm of, I don't know, imagination or something, obviously. It's a, right. These things can are alive in us. They're energies, they're forces. They're and again, um, they are just as important to our survival as our organs. Mm. Right? Again, going back That's to like a great point. love. That's a reason. Yeah. yeah. Right? We, we love so deeply because mm. we would not survive without it. Um we have actually um, disgust is a primary emotion mm. because it, if you think about it on a physiological level, it's very intelligent to be disgusted by rotting food. Mm. Right? So we have these right. aversion. Or a cockroach maybe. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Or even a strange person from a different tribe who might pose as a threat. I mean, mm. that's kind of the origin of xenophobia. Right, that there's a, yeah. That back in the day, strangers were more dangerous Mm. to us. That's when we can, like, learn to overcome ourselves. Yes. Open up to. Right, so there's wisdom or intelligence in every emotion. Doesn't mean the raw message is necessarily the one to to follow. I love that. You just said that really well, but that's something that we've talked about on the podcast, but to honor emotions and our thoughts and there's yeah. wisdom there but it doesn't mean to just blindly follow the impulse of, right. of when it's there and I think hopefully if, maybe it's just a phase some people go through but that certain uh, 
I don't know, spiritual teachings or, you know, I don't know, I see, I feel like I see like kind of like coaching people kind of do this where it's like really getting people to like follow their truth. Mm. Okay, great. You're following your mm-hmm. truth. But mm-hmm. then if you just end up being this like kind of impulsive, mm-hmm. uh, narcissistic, selfish, self-absorbed right. person, right. like that's kind of a shadow side of some of that. Right. And what does that even so. mean? Follow your truth. <laughs> right. I think there can yeah. be truth in the moment. Right. And then perhaps a higher truth or some sort of um, integrity that mm. that's actually more trustable. Anchor in something bigger than that momentary yes. impulse. Right. Yeah, that's Which is a lot of the work that I do with couples as well. Mm. Um, because so so I, I'm actually trained in a couple different models. The model that I'm most steeped in these days and, and um, I suppose find to be most helpful, most most potent is packed. The uh, psychobiological approach to couples therapy. Stan Tapkin. Stan Tapkin. And he's big on um, establishing agreements. And one of the things he says is that, you know, we, we often go into a business partnership or deciding what school we're going to go to or um, what outfit we're going to wear <laughs> for the day, actually with more discernment and more thought than the people that we end up with, right? Like there's oh, wow. something yeah. that is so um, primal about choosing a mate and, mm. and that's not to be ignored or discounted and... Mm. It's pretty problematic to sign on for long-term relationship with someone mm. or a life with someone right. when you don't even know if your values align. If right. you don't even know if you have a sh- like, are we going in the same direction? Right. This is a, such an important point you're bringing up, and that was on my <laughs> list of things to ask you about. Yeah. Which I think relates is when you're working with a couple. Yeah. Or it could just be an individual, but that's in a relationship. Like, how do you? Is there a time and a place where you would actually question the relationship versus supporting the relationship? Like where you might think Absolutely. That the best thing for them would be to leave the relationship. And how do you mm. navigate that or know that? Because that's, yeah. that's a big, it's, it seems like such a big thing. Like the people we spend time with, obviously, are so yeah. important. And, yeah. Yeah. So I'd say the, the kind of bright line around where I bring my, um, my judgment in as a clinician or my um, mm. opinion in as a clinician or, or perhaps um, explicit guidance in as a clinician is when it's an abusive relationship. Mm. So if there is a clear power differential, someone is being controlling or abusive or manipulative, mm. um, Couples therapy is not indicated, and it's just a so you like, refuse to see them. I yeah, as I can't. I yeah, it's not ethical actually to try to establish trust in mm. a fundamentally untrustable situation. Mm. Right, I'm not going to try and get someone to be vulnerable with their with someone who's abusing them. Mm. So that that's kind of a bright line. That's that's a little bit different than advising that person to leave their relationship exactly so so i don't advise people what to do okay 
I guide, I try to help them get really clear mm. about what's true for them, <laughs> <laughs> right? right? But but from a really trustable from place. A deeper place, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And make their own choice, of course. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just seems like a, a big thing and a tricky thing, like if a relationship is really rocky and even yeah. have abusive dynamics, yeah. to do the work to try to fix it or to get on your lifeboat and get out of there. Mm. You know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But then, uh, so that's one way to talk about it. But another way to ask a similar question is like, what you're talking to is like, if you are, maybe you're not in a relationship or you're not in a very deep relationship to like really think about what mm. kind of partner you want, what kind of agreements you want, what kind of life you want to have, like to make that more conscious. And, Absolutely. And then look for that thing, right? Rather, yeah. Rather than just fall into or yeah. kind of follow the... I mean, there's something to be said for chemistry, like people sure. feel attracted to each other. Yes. I mean, there's so much here. Although right? sometimes we're really attracted to what's not very good for us. Right, right. And, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and so... This is kind of the stuff that so much drama and TV shows and movies and absolutely. novels and our lives get consumed by. I mean, we're yes. not always attracted to the people that are good to Right, us and, right. I, I, I really like the metaphor of food. Like, I really uh, like, you know... Um, a friend's dad once said, if it starts with end, with fireworks, it's probably going to end with fireworks. And versus like a slow burn, <laughs> uh, like a right. slow, sustainable burn. Um, but with food, I think about it, kind of the immediate dopamine hit and rush of, um, you know, like fries and cake and like all this really delicious kind of addicting foods. Mm. Um, that right, that we know aren't good for us, but we love them and right. Yeah. Or that perhaps for whatever <clears throat> reason, there's a kind of a crash afterwards, uh, right? There's a done. crash, yeah. yeah. Versus like a very wholesome. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, meal that can be delicious. Um, it might not trigger the same kind of. Instant salivating. Instant gratification. <laughs> Instant yeah. gratification. Two hours later, you feel better. You feel great. Yeah. And you're, yeah, and it's sustainable. It's a good metaphor. A lot, yeah, yeah. Some of the work that I do with individuals actually are people who are coming because they're sick of choosing mm. unhealthy partners again right. and again and again. And they're, they're ready to actually... Um, do something different differently yeah. so there's a lot of work mm-hmm. around um again visioning like well what are the qualities that you want and what's negotiable what's non-negotiable um right and then of course the hard work is again manifestation mm-hmm. like bringing it into practice and totally Probably not being too rigid or perfectionistic about it either. Absolutely. Trap, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, imagine um, if a couple came to you and um, it was an abusive dynamic to the point where you were said, I'm not going to work with you guys. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that would be a kind of wake-up call and actually help them mm-hmm. to, or help one of them to see things more clearly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I had that experience kind of for the first time. It was for the first time about a month ago. With a couple? Yeah, mm. and it was uh, pretty extreme, and it was the guy yelling at his partner, mm-hmm. and then I had to stop, kind of like, slow, let's slow down, let's stop, like, let's, mm. and then try to establish some ground rules mm-hmm. of, of listening and 
reflecting back what the other person is saying mm-hmm. and giving space. And then they came back in for round two and it was the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And then I had to tell them I couldn't see them anymore. Mm-hmm. And, but it was so painful and so difficult. Mm-hmm. And like my dog was here and I got scared and I like, ran into a corner. And, like, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want to, I mean, but the guy just, it was very hard for him to, he didn't seem to be aware at all of how he was showing up and yeah. how he was being perceived and yeah. even the fact that he was raising his voice mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. objectively was true mm-hmm. I don't think in his subjective experience he was able to realize what he was doing mm-hmm. so it was uh, amazing to witness it and I, I felt sad mm-hmm. I couldn't help more mm-hmm. but it just there was no room really to get in mm-hmm. it was like hitting a brick wall yeah yeah, yeah. and I don't, I don't think he wanted to be that way you know I think mm-hmm. there was a lot of trauma from his past. Of course. Um, and yeah. I think he grew up in an abusive household. So yeah. I, think, yeah. I mean, you know, what comes to mind for me hearing that story is if it was workable, that felt workable in the moment to actually, um, it's a great example of impact. Mm, yeah. Right? Do you realize, sir, that when you raise your voice, the dog is right. cowering in the corner. Right, yeah. Are you aware that you have that impact? Yeah. How 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 do you think it is for her right. when you raise yeah. your voice that way? Yeah. And that got some version of that got said a couple times, but it just yeah. it didn't really land. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then it just went back to the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> so. yes. Well, and so again, yeah. I mean what we know in terms of the efficacy of therapy or counseling, and I would say coaching as well, is the number one factor is a client's readiness to change, right? Mm. The kind of brightness right. to transform, to yeah, do the work, to yeah. to adjust. In this case, he didn't have that pers- uh, openness or attitude even. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was interesting. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah don't, I don't work hard. a lot with couples. I've done, I've had a few experiences. Um, yeah. But it's it's a rich and it's a challenging territory totally. working. So I salute you. <laughs> yeah, it's very dynamic. It keeps me on the edge of my seat. I think yeah. I love the element. I think I really love the dynamism of it. I love mm. um, the really on often being on the edge of what I know and what I don't know. Mm. Um, so there's, I feel I feel trustable enough in my foundation as a clinician um, to to explore the complexity mm. with clients. Yeah, it's challenging. Yeah, a lot. Um, so complex. So I mean, complex. One, one person is there in universe with yes, couples. So exactly. Really have three universes there, right? Yeah. Each individual and then the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I guess uh, um, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but part of my question is coming from when you establish a relationship with somebody, it does, kind of, it does take on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why people stay in relationships that are abusive or aren't the best. Mm-hmm. And it can be it can be really hard to envision a different future mm-hmm. for yourself, to mm-hmm. take the courage to step out of that. To, mm-hmm. I mean, that's an extreme example, but mm-hmm. it, it happens where someone is in an abusive relationship and it goes on for years and years and then everyone else is like, why are they still in that? Mm-hmm relationship and it doesn't even have to be abusive right it could Mm. simply be a relationship that's just not um vital right Mm. like a relationship that's actually not for the best of both people right 
but it's so hard to see it's that. so hard to leave and again yeah. that goes back to attachment we are wired to attach we have these attachment systems and they sync up and yeah. then before you know it it's yeah yeah anymore. yeah and the fear of the unknown and the fear of Oh God, do I have to date again? And how am I going to find you, right? The fear yeah. of the unknown. Maybe right. what I know is better than what I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's that. I think there's also a quality of loyalty that some people have more or less of and that has yeah. its pros and cons. And absolutely. Because what, what are you being loyal to? That's a good question to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Mm. Yeah. Right. Is it the comfort of familiarity? Mm. Is it... Is it because you actually love this person and you believe in this person and you believe in this relationship and yeah yeah it's a great it's, question. it's interesting for you to think about on a planet with what seven billion people <laughs> why is it so hard to like <laughs> you know you would think that in a free, pretty basically pretty free society like ours it would be easier for people to meet and to navigate and so like what do i want in a partner in life and but mm. maybe for some people it is easy but uh seems like for a lot of us it is very challenging yeah i mean what comes to mind is that a couple things the first is something that stan will often say is that our agreements are so important because as human beings we are very fickle Mm. and and we're very difficult you know he said this thing that when you know he wishes that when couples were taking their vows um that they would vow to take each other on as their burden <laughs> uh-huh. right oh wow so that is yeah. a christian undertone like the burden of the cross like mm-hmm. carrying your, mm-hmm. your weight in the world yeah, yeah i right and i but and to I see vow. it more as a challenge or a, to know that it will be challenging rather than yeah exactly yeah, yeah. And, and I saw you have Bruce Tift's book. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw him personally when I first moved to Boulder. And one of the things he said to me was, Sashi, why don't you expect for a relationship to be inherently disturbing? <laughs> right? <laughs> this, like, actually this inclusion of the difficulty yeah. of, of being with other humans and right. the difficulty. Um, I've been married now for about, Uh, I think I guess like five-ish years now no four (laughs) years (laughs) and together for six and it's my longest relationship and um well congratulations thanks (laughs) (laughs) and and it like there's this like it sometimes it just feels relentless Mm. you know it's the like you don't really get to escape Mm-hmm. very much so, yeah, I imagine some people sitting will love to hear that coming from you since you work mm-hmm. as a therapist and couple therapist and it's also yeah that's challenging challenging thing well it's some uh, yeah and and I was gonna say sorry just yeah, in my please. list of questions you before we yeah met was like how the Disney fairy tale story of romance is such a disservice to us because yeah. we grow up thinking that we'll get married and live happily ever after Mm-hmm. versus what you're talking about is like a more realistic, more helpful, more honest, yeah. more true, and ultimately I think more rewarding. <sighs> yes. Because it honors our humanity, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, one of the things that I feel like I do for my clients is I normalize 
the challenge of life. (laughs) (laughs) That life is often very hard. Like, like where did we get the story? I mean, I think this is a product of modernity and Western culture that life should be easy, that we should know the way to do it. Right. Mm. Our ancestors, at least my ancestors were like probably digging up potatoes back in Russia. You know, I I mean, life was not expected. Yeah. Yeah. Life was not expected to be this, Um, fulfillment of my happiness and it's a gift of our time that we have the privilege to pursue happiness we have the privilege to pursue optimal living as opposed to just survival but I think it's really really important I think a lot of our suffering actually comes from the belief that it shouldn't be hard that we shouldn't be sad that we shouldn't be scared that we shouldn't be anxious that we shouldn't be uncertain yeah and, and so the same is true for coupledom, in, mm. right? In the sense that, um, yes, we want to be with someone that we like fundamentally, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, I'm going to spend a lot of time with you. I want to yeah. laugh with you. I want to enjoy you. I want to yeah. be aligned with what you're aligned with to a certain degree. And um, this is what I was going to say, and I got a little sidetracked. Because we are fickle human beings, our values or our principles are actually there when we don't want to be nice to each other, (laughs) when we don't want to be loyal, when we don't want to do the right thing, so to speak. Right? Yeah, it's like a protection or a scaffolding of what we actually stand for. Absolutely. And and in the moments where... Um, we're really mad at each other to come back to a that recognition of interdependence like okay Mm -hmm. if I'm an asshole to you you're going to be an asshole to me back probably (laughs) right so that's like a very kind of practical in the moment um, reflection of impact and interconnectedness Mm. and then And then perhaps, and again, going back to the gift of meditation or mindfulness or metacognition, Mm. I can remind myself, I can witness my thoughts. Yeah, I see where you're at. Yeah, Yeah. I can witness, wow, I'm really mad in this moment. I want to say the rude, mean thing (laughs) because it feels really good in the moment. And I know that... In the future, it'll be for the best. Like, it'll be good for me, it'll be good for the relationship, and it'll be good for my partner if I actually take a deep breath and I don't say mm. the really, yeah. the, the thing that I know would just cut you down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's good. I mean, that's and that's, that's a skill we can develop and Absolutely. And maturity, and uh, it's worth doing. It's, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, yeah. There's so much, um, obviously, there's so much here. Yeah. I just think, um, I guess part of my point is just that I think as a culture, there's a lot of pressure actually to stay in a relationship. And I wonder, Mm, I think that um, affects people more than we think consciously and that Mm. I kind of would prefer to contribute to creating a culture where it's, you know, appreciate what you have and your time together. And if it's ended, mm-hmm. like to be able to move on. And if you've taken the step of marriage, like super honor that and work mm-hmm. for it for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you 
but even to make that more conscious, like mm-hmm. that we could have different levels of relationship that we consciously enter into mm-hmm. and to be okay with that and not shame people or absolutely. Them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I heard this saying once and I love it. Sometimes you have to break up to wake up. Ah, yeah. <laughs> right? so sometimes actually ending. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes ending the relationship is the most compassionate thing absolutely. you can do yeah. for yourself for the other. And, and sometimes the opposite is true, like really diving in and committing and doing the work together to, yeah. to make it what it could be yes. and honor each other. So it's like a both and, but absolutely. there's just, there's a lot of kind of, I think a lot of it's kind of under the surface pressure to stay together, to get married, to have kids, all that stuff is still so alive in us, even though we think we are yes. kind of more advanced postmodern people who yes. were so affected by all that stuff, right? Yes. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and so I think part of the process of individuation mm-hmm. is, is that actually um, starting to really question these beliefs that we inherited. Right. Right? Yeah. Whether that's from family or culture, the media, whatever. Um, to just, again, to digest, to metabolize what works, right? To not throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah. again. To, yeah. to hold on to what feels <clears throat> sacred and true and life-giving and to relinquish, to let go of the beliefs or practices or expectations that just feel kind of outdated mm. and harmful, not mm. relevant. Yeah. And I think that can be applied across the board, whether that's relationship or mm. um, expectation of self or definition of success or... Um, yeah, relating to diversity or gender, yeah. right? Like all these different ways yeah. that as a culture, we're starting to question these beliefs that we just thought to be so yeah. for a long time. Diversity is a big one, obviously. And I appreciate you bringing in that there's like an evolutionary reason why mm. we might be distrustful to people that look and sound different than us. Mm-hmm. And I think this is another big topic, but I think to honor that could actually help us make progress collectively mm-hmm. because rather than just, oh, that's terrible, we shouldn't feel that way at all, mm-hmm. actually acknowledge that sometimes you do feel that way and you can work through it consciously and come Absolutely. to a deeper understanding. Yeah. It's Absolutely. Like, and, and again, um, yeah, difference, when something is different from from an evolutionary perspective, there was a time when it was good to relate to that as a threat Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of, hey, your people might bring a novel virus, right, (laughs) right? to my tribe. Yeah, Yeah, right. And, and, and again, just like we were saying with emotion, um, that just because there's an impulse doesn't mean that it's true, or it doesn't right, mean right. that it has to be acted upon. It doesn't mean that it's the highest truth. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there to unpack, but yeah. Yeah. Well, um, throw a little bit of a left turn at you, sure. or us, yeah. both of us, but just, we were joking before we started recording about, we were talking about psychedelics and therapy, yeah. but we were joking that, like, like for example, for me, the podcast episodes that mention that tend to get more <laughs> listens and views, and yes. people are excited about it, and yeah. 
Um, so I just aware of our time and wanted to yeah. give you space to speak to that. Yeah. Because you, you told me you worked with ketamine. I work with ketamine, yeah. And I also support people in psychedelic integration. So if they That's have great. their own psychedelic experience, mm-hmm. I'm happy to support them in integrating that and um, actually, again, implementing what was so powerful or helpful for them in everyday life. It's so valuable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and one of the ways that I relate to psychedelic work is um, in a way not totally different than the way that I relate to spirituality mm. in the sense that it's, um, or I should say maybe an expansive state, right? So a, mm. a moment in practice, in meditation, or maybe it's just spontaneous. You're outside, you feel the unity of all things, you see the birds fly across the sky and the wind blow through the trees and all of a sudden you have this mm. direct experience of um, interconnection and, and mm. not it's being beautiful. separate, it's like right? That's side of it, yeah, that it can open up that for someone. Yeah, and actually with psychedelics, what's happening <clears throat> in the brain is is very similar to what's happening for long-term meditators. Oh, that's a cool thing to share, yeah. In that the default mode network goes offline, so mm-hmm. the default mode network being the part of the brain that is exactly what it sounds like. It's um, the part of the brain that is ruminative, mm. um, kind of on autopilot, jumping from the future to the past. This is the piece that I find super interesting. Um, it's also where self, self-referential thought lives. Nice, yeah. So, Which is, uh, unfortunately, the life experience for much of the time of most of us, right? Right, right. And it's unnecessary, in my opinion. And meditation can help you to see that. You don't have to go through life constantly having this narration of, like, you're in a movie or something. Or, right, and, and like, also... Or rehashing the past or whatever. Right, and yeah. also that our story of self is habitual. Yeah, and we're just it's, constantly saying, telling it to ourselves, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> and, there's, and there's wisdom to it in mm. the sense that we need a story of who we are, right? right. Having a sense of self is a developmental feat Mm. And, right, there's the saying in transpersonal psychology, you have to be somebody before you can be nobody. Um, And when we're stuck in the constant reinforcement of self, right, like, am I liked? Am I valued? Did I do a good enough job? Are we okay? I'm good or I'm, I'm a bad person, right? Sometimes it's like this negative construct of self, um, totally, yeah. That's the, the that's uh, you know obviously painful and it's super painful. I've been there, and I know a lot of people are stuck there, and it, it causes so um, much suffering. We have an epidemic in our society of negative self worth. Yes, exactly. Massive. Yes. So so, both psychedelics and meditation um, help that part of the brain go dark, so that we can access present moment awareness. Mm. Right? And, and present moment awareness, like just this direct experience of life as opposed to thinking about our lives, mm-hmm. thinking our way through life, um, it's like actually in this moment, 
I'm a lot freer than my story of who I am. Mm. There's a lot more accessible to me. I can access so much more, mm. right, yeah. in this yeah. moment. Right. It's so, available right now if you can tune into it. Yes. Uh, so, I was going to say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just because I was just reading this collection of essays by Mark Epstein. Oh, yeah. And he talks about that. You have to be someone before you can be no one. Yeah. And I think he knows the guy who first said that. Uh-huh. Uh, personally, I can't remember his name right now. But apparently, he later kind of went back and like questioned that, too. But oh, like, interesting. I think if I'm... I don't want to speak for Mark Epstein, but... Yeah. But at least from my own point of view, like, that if you... Uh, can if you're meditating and you have some insight into self or no self, mm-hmm. um, that could actually lead to greater clarity in which you can have a more coherent story of yourself that's mm-hmm. more accurate, that makes more sense, that mm-hmm. can drop some of the self-negativity Absolutely. or self-aggrandizement. And so rather than this be somebody before you can be nobody, mm-hmm. um, start meditating now mm-hmm. <laughs> and figure your shit out. I don't know, something like that. Well, I mean, just to put it practically, what you just said... What I heard in that was like, I can recognize that I am both kind and in some moments rude. I right, yeah. like I can include yeah, both and like, both. Yeah. I can include more rather than I'm a good person or I'm a bad person. Right. And then when I disprove that, I feel a lot of anxiety. Right. Because <laughs> my sense of self is being questioned. Right. Right. And right. and so um, what I do like about the the saying you have to be somebody before you can be nobody is that like ego is a deve- like we need an ego development. Personality mm-hmm. disorders mm-hmm. are when there actually isn't sufficient egoic development, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yeah. So, so there is a developmental path. Totally. Um, yeah, I think that's that's true. That's worth saying. Yeah. Um, but just that that doesn't have to be in contradiction to meditation practice. Absolutely. But yes. If you're doing it properly, they would support each other. Totally. I believe. Yeah. Absolutely. But there is there is risk and danger, and there are approaches to yoga or meditation that could take you down a sidetrack. That could maybe. Yeah. Disassociation, for example, bypassing, for example. Totally. So it's uh, not a cure-all. You have to be intelligent, right? Yeah. About how you go about it. Well, something that my teacher says that I absolutely love is she says that practice, whether it's meditation or yoga or whatever it is, practice is not like taking sandpaper to a piece of wood hmm. where you're scrubbing away at hmm. it. it. It's more like taking a cloth and polish to a piece of wood, so you're uh-huh. actually highlighting and supporting uh-huh. its nuances and its uniqueness to it's shine beautiful. through. It's so beautiful. I love that. Yeah, so in a way, yeah. we free ourselves to become more of who we are. Nice, yeah. You know, as opposed yeah. to being stuck in mm. habitual patterns yeah. that, you know, again, at one point we're probably adaptive. Right, um, right. But at this point, we're getting in the way of that. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, but so, but, and before we started recording, you were saying that you've seen some of the ways in which psychedelics can be helpful and then the areas in which you feel like they can no longer be helpful. And that yes. feels like, that's a topic that I've touched on in the podcast, but it's so important, right? That again, they're not going to cure everything or fix they're everything. They're not a magic bullet. Not a magic I, bullet. And I think there's deserve a lot of care and respect. Yes. There's so much excitement about them right now. Right. 
Um, and it's not that that's bad or wrong. I just think the more that I work with them, actually, the more discerning I become uh, in terms of recognizing when and for whom, at least from my subjective right. perspective, they might be deeply helpful. I mean, I've mm. seen them be transformative. Wow. Yeah, for people who um, are just kind of living in this traumatized state. Mm. And then some psychedelic experiences with a lot of integration, with a lot of practices mm. to support, um, again, integration have come out transformed that's on the beautiful. other side. It's so beautiful. See, that's so beautiful that you've witnessed that and helped support yeah. that. And I think that truth of our own experiences is the force behind this tidal wave that's washing over mm, us, that's totally. driving the legalization. It's like people can't deny that they've had super healing, transformative... Life-altering. Yeah. Life-altering. So Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's the positive. And I can also... I've also witnessed when then the psychedelic work becomes a crutch or something to lean on mm. or a way to bypass, mm. right? As opposed to, oh God, I feel anxious or I feel depressed again, yeah. but let me actually lean into my resilience that I now have, mm. right? Because again, life is not without its hardship. Right. And so, yeah. so the question is... Um, when is it the right time? And I like this to be a collaborative, hmm. um, a collaborative decision around. <clears throat> actually, I think you know, continuing to do this work would actually do more harm than good, or at least it wouldn't. Hmm. Like you might challenge someone totally a bit and see what they. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's good. What you would it do be that like? In a compassionate way. And Absolutely, in a relational way. You probably need more of that in the psychedelic sphere world in general yeah um, i think right now there's a lot of pumping up all the positives yes. to help this legalization movement or totally. the legitimization of it yes and then what we're speaking to is really important obviously super important and that's maybe going to become more mainstream in a few years i hope yeah but um to be able to check in and is this really helpful am i bypassing something am i right um, and how do I yeah. how do I utilize the amazing experiences that I had mm. to and honor those yeah. and honor those in everyday life, right? So that I don't have to just be on a journey to access my connection with all things. How do I cultivate that that relationship? Mm without taking something, without altering mm. yeah. my, um, my psyche in that way. Mm. I think um, the integration therapy you're talking about is super important and helpful yeah. there. And part of that is just honoring these experiences that we've had, like the, mm. to witness them, to share them, to talk about them in, a, in the right supportive environment. Because mm -hmm. part of what I see happening is maybe someone has an amazing experience with psychedelics mm -hmm. and then of course there's a natural impulse to want to return there or mm -hmm. repeat that and um if you can have a process of really honoring it and remembering mm -hmm. it and uh kind of acknowledging it right so it's, it's not just some weekend you're at a concert or something <laughs> absolutely um, i think that's if that piece is missing then i think that could drive a more addictive or a mm -hmm. grasping attitude mm -hmm. after it 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I hear and what you're saying is really just bringing the level of consciousness and care Mm-hmm. To, yeah. to the relationship with it, right? Yeah, an attitude of not grasping. I think that's a yeah. good thing to keep coming back to for myself yes. and, and people I work with. And yes. We don't have to always be, we don't, that attitude of always wanting more. Or, right, and yeah. again, we can recognize <laughs> what's right in grasping, right? That, that on a fundamental level, <laughs> we are pleasure-seeking beings, yeah. you know? <laughs> And, and why wouldn't I want to move towards something that makes me feel so good? I've got a good one right? for working with that. It's like, if you're like wanting something more, it's like, if you can kind of relax that and, mm. and, uh, appreciate the moment. I don't know how to put it in the words right now, but, um, I think part of this, the weird way that we're driven is like, I really want an ice cream. I'm going to go get the ice cream. Mm-hmm. And there's that desire for it. Mm-hmm. And then when you get the thing you want, then there's like that satiation. Mm-hmm. It's actually a, a stopping. Mm-hmm. Like the, the grasping mm-hmm. quality is no longer there and that mm-hmm. feels great for a few mm-hmm. moments. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we can access now mm-hmm. through mindfulness, through meditation, through mm-hmm. ways of regulating ourselves. Mm-hmm. That um, to, to acknowledge that part of the bliss comes from mm-hmm. the absence of that grasping. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that's part of what happens on psychedelics for a lot of people. It's like, yeah. oh, you don't, you're not consumed with wanting or comparing or because we're not in the default mode network. Yeah, right we're out of the pre- default. Present yeah, exactly. moment is enough. Oh my god, the right. present moment is amazing. Right, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you've seen people. I guess I don't have much. I don't have much personal experience with ketamine at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like you've seen people have experiences like that through ketamine, mm-hmm. which I think is always a little surprising to me to hear. And I think for a lot of people, because it's like, what is ketamine? I've never heard of it before. Or mm-hmm. it has some, maybe it has negative connotations of like... Isn't that the horse tranquilizer? The horse tranquilizer, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so to recognize that it is a psychedelic and it's a legal one yes. and it can have profound benefit. Yeah, and, I think it's the only um, legal one, um, technically. I mean, I think cannabis, well, cannabis can, can be psychedelic yeah. for sure. Yeah. I think yeah. I think I did. I did a training with medicinal mindfulness, and they're oh, all cool. about using cannabis as a psychedelic sacrament. And so, if you do it in the right way, it absolutely yeah. can be. But the way most people yeah. habitually use it, I think it's not it reaching that potential. Yeah. Cool. I'm curious about yeah. that. I'd love to hear that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. I think a big part of uh, what, like, the magic of what they're they were doing, what I experienced yeah. with them, was what we're talking about, like taking cannabis and just being with that experience without anything else Mm. and that's actually fairly rare i think Mm. usually people will take an edible or smoke and they will go to they'll maybe you know whatever clean their house or something or talk or do homework or even even like dance um, you know and that's great like dance or listen music can be great but Mm -hmm. there's something special about 100 percent of your attention on your own experience and watching mm-hmm. yourself go through this shift in consciousness mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. being distracted not talking mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. you know that's setting that stage that intention and i guess that the the um discovery and experiencing of consciousness is kind of the magic glue and thread mm. that ties all these various um 
interests and fields and topics of discussion for me to gather. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Whether it's Buddhism yeah. or therapy right. or psychedelics. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I consciousness yeah. is at the heart of it all. Yeah, our subjective consciousness experience, our awareness. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, in terms of psychedelics, like, like we know uh, breath work, for example, just altering right. your breathing intentionally and consciously for a period of time will... Yeah. Can result in a very psychedelic type experience. And Absolutely, and a shift, <laughs> a shift in consciousness. Shift in consciousness, yeah. Yeah. I think it's part of being human. To yeah. We were talking about our evolutionary drives. I think we have an yes. evolutionary drive to explore those kinds of changes. Absolutely. And um, part of who we are, and know, however totalitarian and repressive our government is, it's never been able to wipe that out, and I don't right. think it ever will be. Right. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's a great thing. Absolutely, <laughs> and and. Um, Shoot, what was I just going to say? Um, the drive towards... Oh, and not just kind of navel-gazing, right? Or um, I'm just going to trip out and discover consciousness, although I do believe um, witnessing, witnessing reality is in and of itself valuable. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Right, the recognition, like I am consciousness, recognizing consciousness. Yeah. I think there's something inherently valuable in that. And, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and so. like going back to couples work or the evolution of working with our emotions, we can also, um, we can also develop these skills and explore these states for the benefit of others. Right. What we know, what studies have shown is that in general, meditators, and I think this is true for um, psychedelics as well. I'm not totally sure on that, but I'm pretty sure um, is that people tend to be more compassionate. Oh, yeah. Right. People tend yeah. to <laughs> like there's just I something there's been, that happens. There's been more studies done like yeah. to try to look at the scientifically, but I think you're absolutely right. And especially with meditation, that's the kind of the whole point. Right. Right. At least in the forms of Buddhism I come from, it's right. like all about being more compassionate. Um, being if a you benefit. meditate for a hundred years in a cave and you're still an asshole, there's no point. <laughs> so totally. Don't do that. <laughs> right, right. So, so, so yeah. you know, whether it's it's the recognition of inter interdependence in my relationship, so I'm just kinder to my partner yeah. because I recognize my, the experience of being intrinsically a part of something bigger hmm. naturally brings forth care. Totally. Right? So yeah. when I recognize, actually, when I hurt you, I hurt myself. That's it. That's the... I think psychedelics help people see that. And uh, right. Meditation helps people see that. Right. And, yeah. Oh, wait. I'm not just a little, you know, separate being moving through my day. Actually, I'm a part of this massive web. Hmm. And, right, so there's the experience of connection and then the care that mm. naturally arises from that, I think. Yeah. Um, and and um, the recognition that going back to the, the piece around difference, yes, difference can feel um, threatening, but it can also, if I can recognize our sameness at the mm. same time, nice. right? Yeah. If I can feel into the ways even if we don't believe the same thing, even if we don't look similarly, even if right. whatever, 
um, if I can actually recognize again our connection, mm. I can actually appreciate your difference. Totally, I can appreciate yeah. the way in which um, what you bring only makes my life richer. Hmm. Yeah, that's well said. I think that. Um, yeah, I think. I don't even know what to say. That. <laughs> <laughs> I guess for me, I'm really excited about these things coming together psychology, Buddhism, psychedelics, yeah. and that, for example, just like listening to this conversation, like having a compassionate motivation before you go into an experience with psychedelics or meditation yeah. and having that be your guiding star, like the thing that is helping drive you to some degree. Yeah. And that doesn't answer the question of how you show up in the world and what specifically you'll be doing, but it can be an underlying motivation that I believe is inside all of us and that mm -hmm. can be revealed mm -hmm. in these ways. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, so, yeah. and, you know, the motivation to alleviate suffering is also really valid, I think, too, totally. you know, yeah. or to experience beauty. I, like, I think, mm -hmm. and I also trust that, <laughs> that at some point, I mean, maybe not, I don't know, but I think at some point the personal can open the door to the transpersonal, the, the right, mm -hmm. like, Oh, when I'm really, truly with my own suffering, my own heart can break for the suffering of others. Mm. And then it can turn towards that um, yeah. desire to help or whatever it is. Totally, right? yeah. And it can be a very natural thing. Yes, um, yes. It's, it's part of what I'm getting and talking with you and thinking about this, these kinds of topics is that yeah. like to have that experience is wonderful and then to anchor it and remember it and that's kind of yes. what I mean by honoring it like to mm. you have an insight like that and then to be able to really yeah. cultivate it in your life day to day yes again going back to the manifestation side right. of the realization right and mm. that's where practices I'm such a fan of practices I'll sometimes ask my clients like okay what do you want to practice uh, um, because yeah. it can be a practice can be sitting on the cushion or getting on your mat or whatever it is, but it can also be really spontaneous in the moment. Hmm. Um, okay. I'm gonna, I notice again, there's that part of me that feels like my person, my other half of my couple is, um, is a worthless piece of shit like right like i'm I, I can recognize that and this is a moment where i'm going to practice remembering that we're on the same team oh, yeah, right? like, yeah. that can be so like, powerful yeah it's yeah. i mean again like i just i think that the interconnection of perspective and physiology and emotion um we yeah. kind of can't relate to them as totally separate because they're all informing so each other all the time really quickly was well, there another question i have for you is i guess yeah. talking about ketamine specifically that's the uh -huh. legal uh, medicine that you work with yeah in therapy and people are taking a dose and then work being with you right yeah is there anything if someone calls you up and they're like they want to do that like thing where you would say no to them like what mm. would that look what would that be mm. or, or do you find that it's mostly helpful for most of the people most of the time mm, it's a great question um again if people are looking for a magic bullet hmm. right i'm i hate my life and 
which isn't to say that it's not helpful when people are in extreme pain, but I think there's just discernment around, are you looking for a quick fix? Mm. Because we're actually set up to fail. If you, don't want, you don't want to set them up to fail. Like, they're going to try this thing out. If it doesn't work, I'm going to kill myself. Like, exactly. you don't want to do that. Right? That would be terrible. Exactly. Right? Yes. That makes sense. So yeah. there's that. If um, there's active, active psychosis, oh, okay. it can mm. actually... Um, it can actually um, deepen that or or lead mm. to more of it. Oh, really? So yeah. Is that specific to ketamine? You know. I think it's it's psychedelics in general. In general. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 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 That makes sense too. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Personality disorders are an interesting thing. I mean, this is not so much my experience. This is I'm just more thinking what I've heard from the field. Mm. Um. I think that it can be very helpful when there is an enduring negative sense of self. It can mm. provide a break from that right. really critical like inner voice, a sense mm-hmm. of like, oh, actually, in this moment, I can experience myself as beautiful and good and not separate from everything else. Mm. Um, can be super helpful with addiction. Um, that's great. And that's an interesting one. That's it's so interesting. I know. I know. Um, and when there are, um, again, like more extreme kind of fixations or, or specifically personality disorder, um, it can be contraindicated. Mm. Yeah. The more extreme kind of yes. situations really. Yeah. yeah. But generally speaking, it's really safe right and really generally speaking it's really safe um it can i've heard it can be addictive but if it's mm, used in the right way it's not won't lead to addiction right yeah and the forms that i work with mostly are i am intramuscular which is given oh, in the form of a shot or mm. lozenges okay i think the nasal is more can be more on the addictive yeah. side is what i've heard because it's easier to access get, gets yeah. a quicker yes exactly yeah. um although i am is pretty quick I don't know. I don't actually know why the nasal spray would be. Um, but, yeah, in general, it's fairly low risk. The way that I um, work with it is I'll have clients go see a medical provider mm-hmm. who goes through, um, you know, a pretty comprehensive list to make sure on a biological level it's safe, mm-hmm. on a psycho-emotional level it's safe, yeah. They write the prescription, and right. then the client shows so up. some levels of safety and checking up. And Absolutely, things. yeah. yeah. It's yeah. good to share yeah. that. Totally. I think some people are out there or having the idea that in the wild land of Colorado, like mm. things are illegal and you can just do whatever you want, and it's really not like that. And that's not what you're talking about at all. Like, right. You're talking about going to your medical provider, a doctor, yes. getting a prescription, working yes. with you as a therapist. Yes. And it's I, all just, about I say that because I get messages and emails from people. <laughs> like, what do you imagine is happening right here? Mm. And then we are talking about psychotherapy, but it's yeah. at this point just limited to ketamine. And I include cannabis in that. that could yeah. Be one. Yeah. But, um, you know, even though psilocybin mushrooms were decriminalized in Denver, it doesn't right. mean that they're being used in this way we're talking about. And right. Even though there are trials and studies with MDMA, yes. and it's shown amazing results, with yes. especially with trauma and PTSD, it, yeah. it's not yet reached the stage where it's legal or able right. to be prescribed. Right. I don't know. I just feel inspired all of a sudden to share this 
more public service announcement. Yes. Yeah. I think there's confusion. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll sometimes get inquiries around doing underground work and I, I just tell them until it's legal. Right. You know, I'm not, I'm not. Sorry. It's not, we're not there yet. That's we're not there saying. yet. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <sighs> well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. This is yeah. great. We covered a lot of ground. We I, didn't, did. I didn't expect all this, but it was great. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. It was a, it was a delight to, to yeah. talk with you. So. Um, do you have any last thoughts for us? Mm. I'll, I'll link your show notes or your website and everything in the yeah. show notes so people Great. can see that. Yeah. yeah. I guess just last thoughts um, might be, you know, I love, I, I love the blend of Western and Eastern wisdom. Western being that, like this lens of becoming or this lens of growth hmm. and this growth of, or this lens of development, right? I can right. change, I can optimize, I can learn new skills. Right. Uh, and then the Eastern side of the street being that of being or this, this recognition of the fundamental goodness that's already always here yes. and yeah. right the the recognition of the part of us that's actually beyond needing any sort of repair hmm. beyond um being fixed or adulterated yeah. changed in any way yeah. and and that both are we are both and both are true <laughs> and and um they inform, they can inform how we show up. Because the growth work can be like a hamster wheel. And there can be, it can right. be inspired by this fundamental sense of something's wrong. Right. That was also on my list of things beforehand to mention yeah. that I see that. And I've seen it myself. And I see it here in Boulder and in the personal development space. And yeah. In that, um, yeah, it could be a hamster wheel, always trying to fix or improve and yeah, I think Suzuki Roshi said, you're perfect as you are, and you could use a bit of work or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> yeah, I think approaching all Have of this, <laughs> absolutely, and approaching yeah. all of this developmental work from this foundation of recognizing our fundamental goodness, mm. I think is really um, helpful and important. So important. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.